Is it really that important to eat organic? What is conscious parenting? Does homeopathy actually work? Oh god, the flu. How do I beat it naturally? How do I prepare for birth? What are the benefits of meditation? This is Healthy Happy Home, the podcast that opens up discussions on every aspect of wellness. We explore the topics of natural health and well-being, holistic parenting, consciousness, ethical entrepreneurship, inclusivity and wellness, and anything else that might fall within those parameters to empower you to live your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilled life. If you're tuning in, chances are your journey to wellness has already begun. Our intention with this podcast series is to support that journey and to be your go-to place for actionable, tangible, authentic, and time-honored ways to integrate wellness into your life. We're Lauren Vacneen and Tilly Wood, and we want to thank you for choosing Healthy Happy Home and for making your well-being a priority. This season of Healthy Happy Home is sponsored by Mega Home Water Distillers, the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller. Mega Home are kindly offering listeners of the Healthy Happy Home podcast a 5% discount. Just use the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Mega Home. Looking for a wellness break in the UK? Well, you're in the right place. At Retreat Life, we take small groups on exclusive escapes to focus on well-being, fitness and health. Relax, reconnect and re-energise on one of our empowering retreats, all located in unique locations within the natural beauty of the British countryside. For more info, go to www.retreatlife.co.uk. Welcome to Healthy Happy Home and we have just got a fantastic episode for you today. Um, Tony Harmon we have just spoken to and she is a brilliant documentary filmmaker, uh, writer and she was the, the lady behind Microbirth which is an amazing film about your the importance of the microbiome and our immune systems and specifically to do with birth and the importance of the birth process for the correct microbiome to be transferred to the baby. And it was incredible, wasn't it? It was so fascinating. And the whole subject is so, so interesting and so important and so overlooked really, isn't it? So there's definitely a lot to learn from her. Yeah, we saw kind of how, how it was, how this stuff is overlooked and how well, she offered us just so many little nuggets of wisdom that we just wouldn't know otherwise um, that would contribute to hopefully healthier, um, immune systems yeah and she she's really a pioneer is what we were saying in that area because she she's explaining really why each stage of the birth is important for the microbiome you know why the even in the even in the pregnancy you know she said even in conception didn't she yeah yeah yeah. it's amazing yeah and and what you can do you know and and i think it was really interesting for people to understand because then when you do come to give birth and it becomes tricky you know what to do and how to manage it for the best mm-hmm. outcome for the baby and why breastfeeding is so good for the baby i mean i just love that bit about the sugars in the breast milk that are not for the baby but for the baby's microbiome like that is crazy isn't it i know well um yeah we kind of really open that up in the show so have a listen because it's so so interesting and um 
Yeah, this is really one of my favourite topics, the microbiome, as our regular listeners will know, because I often talk about the microbiome. Um, and just really, yeah, a, a lot of interesting information, which I think will, our, our purpose always with this podcast is to offer people informed choice, to give people the knowledge to help them make informed decisions um, on any kind of, um, you know, big moment in their lives. And this is, this is one of the, you know, birth is obviously a huge, huge part of that. And coming to birth from a place of informed choice is, is always, you know, whatever decision you choose to make, coming at it from a place of informed choice is always going to be the best option. So that's what this episode is about. Um, we really love she explained as well, didn't she, like how we are made up of um, so many, so much microbiome. And she explained it as a human as well. So it wasn't just, we didn't just talk about birth, did we? We talked about our own microbiome. Yeah, and we touched on, on the pandemic as well, because her film was made in 2014. And one of the doctors in the film was talking about how our compromised microbiome is going to contribute to a pandemic and what he speaks about in the film was really spot on but so we mentioned what we talk about all of that and really kind of unpack that in the show so have a listen um, and we hope you enjoy it and feel free to send any questions our way and um, check out the show notes for any any details or web addresses or anything that you might be looking for if you hear them on the show so on with the show enjoy Tony Harmon is a documentary filmmaker, author, and course creator. Her aim is to spread awareness about the wonders of the infant microbiome, particularly about the importance of vaginal birth, skin to skin, and breastfeeding for the optimal training of the infant immune system. Her award-winning documentary, Microbirth, has been distributed worldwide. Her books have been translated into multiple languages, and she has created an online school offering CPD-approved courses for health professionals. Tony, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. I've been bugging you for quite a while. <laughs> I, I love it. I, th I think what you guys are doing is brilliant. And uh, I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I love talking about the microbiome. So anywhere I could uh, spread the love. <laughs> well, that's where you and I are similar because I could talk about microbiome till the cows come home. But obviously, you know way more about it than I do. Um, so Shall we start by you actually telling us what microbiome actually is? Okay, so um, this is kind of like a little bit of a kind of a, a, a weird thing because you kind of think of yourself as a human being and you know that you're made of, of trillions of human cells. So that's kind of how, how we've kind of grown up. We've done biology lessons. That's how it, how it works. We're kind of a, a multicellular organism. Um, but now scientists are discovering that actually there's trillions of um, human cells and our bodies are also home to trillions of microorganisms. So there's bacteria, fungi, viruses, protozoa, archaea. Um, so we are not, well, I'm Tony Harmon, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm made of these trillions of, of um, human cells and trillions of microbes. So I'm not a single person, I'm an us. Mm. So myself, yourselves, are, are multiple people in, in a sense, that you're kind of, you're, you've got all these kind of trillions of microbes um, on us and in us that call us home. And they're amazing, these microbes. Um, they help with digestion, they help with our immune system, um, they help all our systems stay healthy. Um, they, um, they help with uh, like metabolism, with um, um, anti-infections. 
so it's this so it's the and um they're most of the microbes are you know on our skin on our up our nose up in our mouths but the biggest community is in our gut so uh, definitely towards the um, end of our gut there's about um i think it's about 80 percent of our um all the microbes down there um and they are absolutely integral in intrinsic and important part of the immune system so if our microbiome is in balance our health um is well there's a connection between having a, a, a balanced ecosystem down there in, in your gut and and having a, a strong immune system and everything working in terms of your health and your happiness as well right so there's a real link from your gut into your brain as well so and this is this is what amazing so um there is this gut brain connection and, and scientists don't quite know how it works or whether there's a um your your microbes in your gut influence your brain or your brain influences your gut i mean there's might be a two-way connection going on so they don't have all the answers but it's um things like your your mood um your uh your mental health um just uh, even your appetite can be determined by your microbes so so you thinking you're hungry could be because the microbes in your in your gut are kind of communicating to your brain that you're hungry so it's this 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 um so all systems of our our kind of body all, all the main systems are all connected with this this amazing ecosystem within us and I love that about, I mean, like you say, there isn't huge amounts of research yet, but we are starting to see there are doctors and functional medicine doctors around the world seeing amazing results using specific diets with children with autism, kind of proving that the gut brain connection is a real thing. I mean, the, we interviewed this um, brilliant, uh, um, this is terrible the way I kind of think of him is like a brain on legs. I mean, he just the, just the most clever person I've ever met. Um, so he's a, a professor at, um, at Caltech um, in um, in California, and uh, he he does research into the connections between um, the microbiome um, and autism, and um, and the I mean, there's um, for people on um, on the autistic spectrum. Um, of, vast majority have um gut issues mm. and so is it because of the autism or is it because of the microbiome or you know so they don't quite know that they don't quite know all the connections mm. um, and there there seems to also to be a link with um with antibiotics so multiple um, um episodes of um antibiotics early in life that uh, increases the risk of autism so could it be that something about um, those multiple courses very, very quickly alters the, um, the, the gut microbiome, which could, um, I don't know, uh, increase the risk of, of autism? I mean, it's all these questions we don't know yet. Yeah. There's certain links. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? God, that's, not, that's why we need to eat well and look after ourselves. That's probably also why you feel really depressed when you have a hangover. <laughs> I, no, I think so. I think so. There's um, uh, I mean, I, I do experiment with um, uh, uh, well, well, to be honest, I, we experiment with it, with everything. So each bit of research we read, we kind of try it on ourselves first. Oh wow! So, um, uh, so we we uh, one of the things that we take we take a, a, a probiotic quite uh, regularly, 
because we interviewed this um, a group of scientists who are working on this um, um, this probiotic, and it's actually a, um, a, a, a it's a prebiotic, so it's a um, fermented uh, barley mixed with probiotic, so it's a kind of one combo. Anyway, um, uh, that we found if we took this probiotic, we don't get hangovers. Oh wow! What before you drink or after you drink? No, so we take it every day. So we take it every day. It's the only probiotic we take um, uh, because uh, we've, we've, we've seen the research, we've interviewed all the professors and uh, it, it's amazing. It, it's, it, it works wow. for us. I mean, everybody's microbiome is different. So um, different people will work, you know, for different probiotics. It just works for us. Wow. And if we take this probiotic, it makes us feel happy and everything kind of works in terms of your bowel movements. Everything kind of works lovely. What's um, this probiotic called? Yes. Well, I don't want to advertise it. I'm not, I don't want to promote it. It's a water-based um, probiotic with, um, a, so it's a, yes, so a, a ferment, fermented barley water-based probiotic, which is a, which, um, because it's fermented barley, so it's a prebiotic inside there as well. Mm. Um, and honestly, we don't get hangovers. If we're on it, we don't get hangovers. Well, Tilly's like, Tilly's eyes have just gone, wow. I know. I think I don't drink very often, but when I do drink, I yeah, when you do, you get all froggy, don't you? Oh my gosh. I know. I try and take, no one's like, have some vitamin C. I'm like, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, obviously, the reason that um, we wanted you on the show was because your film pretty much changed my life, actually. Um, you know, that alongside some of the other amazing books out there. Um, about you know birth and like birth childbirth without fear and all of these things that that's kind of the psychological aspects and, and your film and subsequent book um ties in with that with the physical aspect um but just having this information was it it changes having the information will change many people's decisions uh, moving forward i think and i know people who have gone who have watched your film had previously were pregnant decided had decided previously they were having an elective cesarean or they weren't going to breastfeed watched your film and then changed their stance completely so um what we really want to kind of hone in on now is birth and the microbiome so uh we made this film called microbirth and uh we explored the microscopic processes happening during vaginal birth and um, infant feeding and um, how they um, affect the the founding of the infant microbiome so um i mean there's all sorts of things you can do sort of before before you conceive in terms of getting your microbiome um uh it healthy in terms of like getting a balanced ecosystem um, i'm sure you you've had other people talk about this and you guys talk about this so um uh during pregnancy once you oh and that's the another interesting thing is that um, you actually need a certain type of microbes present to conceive which is amazing mm -hmm. so if you if, if, a, if a, a woman doesn't have that type of microbe it's a lactobacillus um and she can't conceive anyway so when she went so if some so once someone conceives and is pregnant um they're the pregnant uh, woman's uh, vaginal and gut microbiome changes in preparation for birth and breastfeeding. Um, so in her vagina, she'll have a, a predominance of a lactobacillus um, uh, bacteria, which is a type of bacteria which is related to breast milk. Um, and in her 
gut, there'll be a decrease in the diversity of microbes in her gut. So these two changes in her vagina and in her, her gut get ready for um, what comes next. So vaginal birth um, and then breastfeeding. So during vaginal birth, once the um, once the waters go, because up until then, um, the amniotic sac is protecting the baby as it develops inside the mother's tummy, inside her, her womb. Um, so once the waters go, when she's in labour, then uh, the baby loses its protection of the amniotic sac and the amniotic membranes. And the baby, as at, at that moment, starts to be exposed to um, the microbes in the mother's vagina and in her gut. So if you imagine the baby's coming through the birth canal, picking up all those vaginal microbes, yum, yum, they go into the skin, they go into the eyes, the ears, the nose, um, some are swallowed as, and go to found the, the, the baby's microbiome. Then as the, as the baby comes out of the vagina, um, the, hopefully the baby will get a good lick of its mum's bum. And that's brilliant, absolutely brilliant, because that will mean that the baby gets exposed to the mum's gut microbes. So in her faecal matter, in her, in her poo, um, the baby will get um, exposed to it, will get kind of a, a, a lick of it or a wipe of it. And then the baby's born and hopefully will go to skin to skin and the, the, the mother's skin microbes will then colonise the baby's skin microbes. And then the... Um, and on the if the baby's on the mother's chest the baby's like wallowing around licking and nuzzling and picking up more of the mum's microbes and hopefully the birth is super messy and so the mum's covered in oh, just all those vaginal juices and poo and blood and everything just covered in it and the baby's wallowing in it and swallowing in it and so all those microbes will be kind of taken down and they're all kind of start colonizing the infant gut and then hopefully, the, um, if, if there's support for exclusive breastfeeding, the baby will be put on the mum's breast and uh, will start breastfeeding. Um, and that's just a, a fantastic um, miracle colostrum that comes out, first of all. And um, so there's all these amazing components of breast milk. And there's one super duper component, which is um, uh, special sugars, which are indigestible by the baby. And they're there, they're indigestible by the baby because they're there to feed the microbes that have just come from mum during the vaginal birth. So then the, so the baby, the, the microbes in the baby's gut eat those um, uh, special sugars called human milk oligosaccharides. And, and they're there to feed those, those special microbes, which means that the, the baby's gut becomes colonised by these special mum's special microbes which means they're the right ones to train the infant immune system. So it's just beautiful, the absolute beautiful process, which starts in pregnancy, having the right type of microbes, where they get passed to the baby during vaginal birth, and then the, the, the special sugars in breast milk, then feed those microbes. So it's like a seed and feed process, which is exquisitely designed and that's what is meant to happen for us as mammals. Yeah, I was, um, I think that's so, it's such an incredible 
such so much incredible facts in there but i was saying to lauren earlier that when i understood from reading today that that, that the saccharins are in the breast milk which are not for the baby's growth but like you said for the baby's microbiome you'd like if anybody was thinking that maybe they wouldn't breastfeed like surely that would be the clincher to say look this is a seriously high tech fluid that's coming out there's no way you can replace that with formula i mean of course people sometimes have to use formula but i would think that that fact that that something is there for the baby's microbiome is just incredible and it's fascinating isn't it and the fact that they when the scientists were trying to figure out what these oligosaccharides were there for because it was indigestible to the baby and then they saw then they realized it was there to feed the microbiome it's just mind-boggling yeah uh, what i really like about it is it's just uh Oh, I mean, there's, there's so many things that I love about it, but just that, but yes. Tell us all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, the next three years. Um, so the, the, so the, so yeah, the human milk oligosaccharides, they're, they're really special. Um, so they do feed the, the baby's microbiome, so the special microbes. And this helps train the, um, the infant immune system. So, and it trains the infant immune system to identify um, what's friend and what's foe. So what's friend, as in uh, what should be tolerated, and what's foe, meaning what should be attacked. So, so only because they're fed by these special sugars in breast milk. And if that's done, and if, if the, the, the breast milk provides these special sugars, which, which encourages the right kind of microbes to flourish in the infant gut at the right time, um, this will, will set up the child's immune system for life. So if you and, and there's a very short window for this to happen and it only happens once in a baby's life so if you hit the window at the right time then that baby will be will have the strongest possible immune system and will be able to be in a strong position to fight off infections if you miss that window because of say c-section or even because of your formula feeding or um, because of antibiotics which can impact the infant microbiome if, it, if it's not done in the in the in this if the if the right microbes aren't there at the right time within this window then that baby is um, at increased risk of having a, an immature um, a, 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 an immune system that that responds inappropriately to certain stimulus so will could identify i don't know um, you know that's how you get to kind of uh, to to allergies and asthma. Yeah, I was so, gonna say, it could be one of the contributing factors to onset of asthma or allergies or any of the autoimmune disease or any of these things. Exactly, so it's just, it's, it's kind of, that, it's just this, I mean, you know, so scientists are still researching exactly what happens and, and exactly what needs to happen. And, um, and absolutely, you're right when you said that um, some um, babies do need, um, or aren't able, or some mums aren't able to um, to breastfeed, and um, some mums may choose to um, formula feed. But the, the 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 for the strongest possible immune system, it seems that the components of uh, breast milk um, they work together to to help train the infant immune system. So not these um, HMOs. Yes, they they um, help optimally, optimally train the infant immune system, but they're but they also, um, they, uh, they have, a, um, a, 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 a scientists believe they have an effect on um, 
certain uh, infections themselves. So they have anti-infective properties. Um, and then you've got these um, these fantastic microbes. So if you if so fed by the sugars in breast milk, um, the right microbes transferred from the mum they crowd out any pathogens, any harmful um, uh, microbes that are there. So it's just these multiple different ways where it all just works together to help protect the baby. Yeah, it's just, I mean, just fascinating. What was your birth like? Because I did end up having a, uh, an emergency cesarean in one of my births and then a normal birth. And Lauren, you had to, you had a water birth, didn't you, and a home birth. But, mm. and, um, so, and how was your experience? I think um, my, my own birth, I, I had a, an emergency C-section um, and I struggled to uh, exclusively breastfeed. Um, uh, my, I, I, this is before I knew anything, so I, um, I topped up with infant formula and my newborn baby um, got an infection very early on and was given antibiotics. So all the three, the three things that can impact the baby's microbiome, uh, my child had very, very quickly. Um, I didn't know this at the time, and uh, the more I discover about it, the more it makes me want to spread awareness about that. Some, you know, sometimes that birth doesn't go exactly to plan, and sometimes um, C-sections are necessary, and sometimes um, antibiotics are necessary, and sometimes uh, formula feeding are necessary. So um, I'm not to demonise them or to to make anyone feel guilty because you can only make decisions about what happens if you are fully informed of those decisions but also mm. if, if you're supported by healthcare professionals who are also up to date with the latest research. Um, I think what is driving me right now is that so many health professionals don't know that um, everything about the infant microbiome and don't know the principles of you know this whole seed and feed process and don't know um, the benefits of breastfeeding even so I think that's what drives me forward is is that if I, I I'm on a mission to help raise awareness particularly with health professionals so that they're up to date with the latest research so if they're up to date they can support parents to have informed choice and I think that's the the kind of the strongest thing is 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 for parents to have informed choice so knowledge is power if you know this stuff then you can do whatever you can to protect the infant microbiome. And sometimes you can't, you know, sometimes that doesn't go right. But but you can breastfeed if you can. If you've yeah. got support for breastfeeding, mm -hmm. then the breastfeeding, the science has shown that uh, breast milk um, can quickly, um, I wouldn't say repair the damage, but can, can make up a lot of the difference um, for for um, an altered microbiome so yeah. if, so if, um, if yeah. there's support for exclusive breastfeeding then that that can make all the difference yeah well we had a, a lactation consultant on the show um, a while back and um, she was you know we were talking about support why it's important to have support for breastfeeding because it's become such a subject isn't it such a contentious subject in our society um, and I think just having that support but I do think that like what we're all about on the show is informed choice. That's why we're here. We want to give women, especially knowledge, power, information that they might not be coming across in the mainstream media to empower them to make 
the best decisions for them and their family. Um, and I think a lot of people listening to this information would then go away and perhaps change, you know, their decision. Um, so it's not necessarily about, um, you know, it's about, I, I think if you, sometimes you don't know everything. And so you say something like, well, you know what, I'll just um, see how I go. And if I'm not that keen on breastfeeding, I'll kind of, you know, we've always got formula. And that's, that's quite a, a common um, rhetoric yeah. surrounding breastfeeding. And I think that if people have the sort of information that you're offering, they might actually say, well, no, I'm going to breastfeed. And then they'll overcome if there are obstacles with breastfeeding, as there often are. As I know myself, I had probably one of the most... Um, traumatic breastfeeding experiences both times but um with the right support you can pretty much get through most breastfeeding obstacles yeah and i think it's it's like it's kind of a natural instinct isn't it and so but then if your natural instincts get overridden by exhaustion and some traumatic thing that happened in birth and like you said the birth completely changes to what you thought it was going to be and you haven't really thought about it much if you're a young mom i mean i don't think i even thought about breastfeeding until i actually found myself breastfeeding and so you know if if people if you could if it was a bit more common knowledge about why other, apart from the fact that it's been happened for hundreds of years thousands of years but really the science behind it which is what you're you're pointing out to people then i think people would be really like you know more yeah like you said lauren much more determined to do it and understanding why they should do it and and it's amazing what you're doing tony by by informing their actual healthcare professionals because you know if there's a young mum there who's a bit tired and is having a hard time but then the 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 midwife or the nurse says well listen you need to do it because it's for the microbiome it's going to help your baby's immune system i mean yeah. that's so brilliant it's like you're coming we're coming at it from both angles which is great but right now i'm just um i'm working on some uh resources and training for parents so that um i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I kind of think, right, okay, I'm going to train the health professionals and then I'm going to try, if I can get the kind of information to the parents too, so yeah. I get it from both ends, um, so there's just, uh, just, 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 just spread awareness because uh, there's so much pressure from, you know, it could be from um, people's own, own, mother's own parents or from their, their friends or from their partners who don't want them to, to breastfeed or, um, uh, pressure from you know formula milk and, and advertising and mm. I think there's so many distractions and there's so I mean there's um it's a simple concept but somehow it the people don't know about it and why don't they know why why isn't this like huge everywhere yeah yeah no you're right I think um the way that you word it in the film about when we interfere with our our, our biological our natural biological processes things start going wrong whereas if we if we kind of follow our natural biological processes that's the way we've evolved to be and that's the thing that's going to keep us healthiest i think that's quite a good way of explaining it as well yeah and, and, and interestingly as well in your in your documentary how it says that we've got like only 70 percent of our the diversity of our microbiome anyway just because of the last couple of hundred years of you know the antibiotics and probably our environmental um 
like the lifestyles that we lead that is even more important now as well especially as food is not as always organic as it should be and there's a lot of toxins in the air that is i think it's even more important for people and i think to have a healthy immune system and i do think people are realizing that especially you know with things that you know health crises that we've just had of a pandemic people are understanding that actually they need to be strong because if their immune system is strong then they can fight anything that comes their way so hopefully a sort of a shift of you know the way we think about our health is happening so this is you know this is where it starts isn't it and you've got a lot of information on c-sections um or cesarean sections which i'd like to move on to in a second but before we do an interesting um thing that I heard and started getting me thinking is my first birth was a water birth um and I saw your film only after I'd had him and then so for my second birth which was going to be a home birth I wondered should I be having a water birth because if we're trying to follow our body's natural processes are we kind of washing away that microbiome when the baby comes out um like the baby's first thing that touches water, water yeah. then is that washing away the microbiome and i was just yeah i was going back and forth and i probably should have spoken to you at the time tony i was going back and forth, should i should i not we should get a birthing pool and in the end we did because it was just helpful to you know for the labor and it kind of eased the contractions a little bit and so we had the birthing pool at home and she was born into the pool but i was thinking the whole time you know is this compromising her microbiome Okay, so that's a quite complex question in, in that um, there's been very little research on actual the impact of water birth on the infant microbiome. There's some um, research from 2004, which is quite a long time ago in terms of the, the technology has moved on quite a bit. Um, and uh, there's some research, a little bit of research last year, but, but generally the scientists don't know to what extent having given birth um, in water has on the infant microbiome. There's, um, there could be, um, depending, so public tap water can have a chlorine in it and chlorine in order to kill bacteria. So the water itself could be chlorinated, which means that uh, it's gonna kill off bacteria. And then if you've got a water no, I'm not trying to scare anybody or put people off a water burst because water bursts are fantastic. They're great for kind of, um, uh, you know, for pain relief and to, to labour. Yeah. Well, they make, yeah, they make the natural birthing process easier. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which was my argument for it. I thought, you know what, if it's going to make the, the natural birthing process as as a kind of... Well, maybe, maybe what, but if it is sorry to interrupt you Lauren but I was just thinking that maybe if the research was done you would say you could have most of the birth the, the labor in the water and then maybe would you get out of the work right well that's what I had thought that's what I thought I thought I'll, I'll labor in the pool and then when I feel that it's near I'll get out and that is actually what we thought and my I had two amazing midwives so I was just so lucky to have both NHS but both amazing and um they they were you know I was kind of talking them through this um before i you know when, when they first got to my house and in the end the, the the surges were so intense towards the end that i decided that it was better for me to stay in the pool i just could not get myself out there could be something in that the idea that because uh, it's all about when your waters break so if your waters break in the water 
then then uh, the water is going to reach the baby and there could be mm. well, they don't know scientists don't know yet if it washes yeah. away some of the vaginal microbes or the or the, uh, the gut microbes um, but if you're if you're able to labor in the pool and then get out and your waters haven't gone yet then uh, bonus but the really? water that we that the pool that we got came with a specific filter that it filtered it um it filtered the water from the tap so it filters out uh, the chlorine and the fluoride and stuff like oh, that okay okay but what was the what was the cleaning agent used to clean the birthing pool that was also and they give you like a um i was quite big on that and i cleaned it with my own homemade stuff okay. cool yeah. <laughs> i was quite prepared for you know kind of not having any sort of um you know harmful toxins ideally there'd be like a little thing in the birthing pool that when you're actually going to give birth it kind of moved you up and <laughs> yeah <laughs> we need to redesign the birthing pool and the baby comes out into this clean purified air oh yeah but covered in shit <laughs> it's an interesting right. thing to consider i think because like you say we don't really have the research on it yet but i'm kind of I'm very big into the science of stuff, but I also know that science and studies can be very flawed a lot of the time. Um, the, the entire industry, as we, you know, the pharmaceutical industry in itself is such a, a, a monster that it can be, things can be flawed just based on, um, well, many factors which we don't need to go into now. So I'm into the science, but I'm also very much for that reason into intuition. So I think sometimes we don't always need, you know, the de definitive research to make a decision on whether or not we feel this is going to be the best thing for us. In that moment, at the end, the, it was a case of I'm giving my baby, hopefully, by having a natural birth with no drugs at home, no doctors, no interventions, hopefully the best opportunity possible. If I'm compromising that very slightly with the water to help me get through that, it was like that little compromise to make things that little bit easier, I suppose. I was going to ask you actually, because I, so I had an emergency cesarean as well. And obviously when we first started talking about this with Lauren, I did think, oh gosh, you know, Lola would have missed out on a, a lot of those microbiomes by having an emergency cesarean. But then I was wondering, because if you have an emergency cesarean, I mean, we went through the labor pretty much to the end and then she just kind of got stuck and then we had the cesarean. So would she have, by her going through the labor and obviously the waters had broken, in that way, do, are they then ex babies much more exposed to the microbiome as opposed to if you have a, an elective cesarean, are they just then cut out and taken out and then they don't get mixed up with the, the fluids or, how, or do they still get mixed up with the, with the fluid? One of the big factors is, is, the, is the breaking of the waters. So if your waters had gone while you're in labour, yeah. then, the, then the, it's kind of like this flood of... Um, which spreads the vaginal microbes. So the vaginal microbes could well have got to your baby before the before the surgery, but wouldn't have got um, the baby. Wouldn't have. What, sorry, what's your baby's name? Oh, Lola. She's fourteen oh. now. <laughs> oh. Well, you're yes, you're uh, you're you're almost adult. <laughs> you're almost adult. Yeah. But, um, she wouldn't have got um, your poo microbes. Yeah. No. So gut microbes, and also, do you, uh, do you know about epigenetics? Yeah, yeah we, so. wanted to get, we wanted to get onto that as an actual um, topic. Yeah. Let's continue talking about caesareans and what, um, what actually happens in a caesarean, whether it's elective or emergency and the difference okay. between them and what we can do if we do have to have a caesarean to kind of mitigate yeah. the issues that might arise. Obviously, sometimes you have to have a caesarean, right? Mm. So you can't, it's not always a, a choice. So if, you're, if your waters have gone when you're 
before the caesarean, then the baby is likely to be exposed to the vaginal microbes, but would miss out on exposure to the mum's gut microbes and potential epigenetic changes. Um, if the waters haven't gone before surgery, so it's an, effectively uh, an, an elective surgery um, or an emergency surgery that before the waters have gone, um, then the baby's not likely to have been exposed to the vaginal microbes or the gut microbes. Um, so the first exposures the baby is going to get is from the air of the operating theatre and also the um, whoever touches the baby and what happens to that baby in the first you know few minutes or first hour of being born. So if you can imagine um, someone's putting the baby out through the abdomen so it's the doctor and then is passed to maybe a nurse or uh, or whoever, whoever else is in the room to do all the kind of the, the initial checks and then uh, it might go to the dad the baby might go to the dad for a few minutes so this baby is being passed around um, and it's going to be picking up microbes from every single person it goes to and then hopefully at some point we'll find the mum and hopefully the mum's chest and then the baby will start to be seeded with the, the mum's um, chest or skin microbes um, but research indicates that, that the baby wouldn't have received the mum's vaginal microbes and wouldn't have received the mum's gut microbes. And there's the hypothesis which suggests this could be reason why babies born by C-section are increased, increased risk for, and say 20% increased risk for having asthma and allergies later in life, 20% um, increased risk of being um, of type one diabetes slightly lower, probably about 17% um, risk of celiac disease and about 20% increased risk of being obese later in life. So because of the, the baby didn't receive those initial microbes. Yeah, but and um, I see that you have come up with a, well, there's a, a good idea about how you can make that happen um, by doing a vaginal swab, is it, of, um, of the mother? Uh, so there's a, a um, a professor called um, Professor Maria Gloria Dominguez Bello, and it, um, she's doing some research. So it's not a, med a recognised medical procedure anywhere. So this is not to be done by anyone. In terms of, um, you've got to look at the research paper. You've got to find out about what what she's doing. There's certain parameters. Things like um, her research study um, is only on elective cesarean, doesn't include um, emergency cesarean. Her study only involves women under 35 for some reason um, there's um, and what's really important is for the for the mothers to be tested for pathogens their vaginas to be tested for pathogens like group b strep so um, group b strep is a potentially um, fatal illness in a in a tiny percentage of newborn babies if the mum is a carrier for for gbs during pregnancy so um, anyway so what uh, dr dominguez bellows research indicates um, is that baby a baby who is swabbed with um, a swab which had been incubated inside the mum's vagina prior to the c-section and then the, the swab is wiped over the baby's mouth face and then the rest of the body so the research indicates that um, the baby's microbiome is partially restored to so it's it's 
somewhere similar to a, uh, a baby born vaginally. But there are risks involved. There are risks involved in terms of if the if the mother's um, vagina is, is colonized by um, group B strep. So you'd be artificially giving the baby kind of um, exposure to group B strep is that if the mum's a carrier. There's also um, it, there's no long term uh, studies in terms of what happens to babies after they've been swab seeded. So at the, at the moment, it's just an idea. It's a really concept. fascinating idea, though. I love yeah. it. <laughs> and it, but the the baby still doesn't have exposure to the mum's uh, gut microbes. I mean, I would like to see a study where uh, the mum's vaginal microbes and her poo and her mum's yeah. gut microbes are exposed to the baby. But I can't see any new mums saying yes, okay, yes, absolutely. Put my poo in my baby's mouth. I'd do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think you would i think when you understand that, that that's actually the reason that yeah. it's that's what you're missing out by having an elective cesarean it's like well yeah it would be a no-brainer for me i think i would have definitely if i'd known i was going if i'd known about that when i was going into the emergency cesarean i think i would have done it myself like just grab i think that's the thing i think it's being informed but it's also look being aware of aware of the risks mm. and um being yeah. you know making sure that the doctors all know about it and, and can explain to you the kind of the risks versus the benefits yeah. um, and that you're uh, I don't know I just I'm I'm kind of the person who thinks okay worst case scenario mm. and protect yourself against that worst case scenario and obviously the worst case scenario is if something um, if your baby gets sick so you've got to protect yourself as much as you can and do as many sort of you know to have your microbiome tested to make sure that you're not a, a carrier for, for a pathogen yeah i mean you I know so that, especially it goes without saying i think if we kind of word it as put the mum's poo in the mouth it's a bit different but when you talk about you know the microbiome of the mother's fecal matter it makes a bit more sense um yeah that's that's exactly what you're doing it's it, it yeah. but, but no one's researched this yet so this is just a kind of um so the vaginal microbes are one half and then you've got the kind of the gut microbes so but no one's researched it and there's no um it's only me saying oh i love i'd love someone to research it uh, so yes yeah well it would be great if people did i mean especially i mean i think it does need more research for sure you know so what about inductions and um synthetic oxytocin how does that play a part synthetic oxytocin we've done um uh, a course about um just all all of all of this stuff so it's a nine hour course but there's um and one hour is is dedicated to synthetic oxytocin um and it's uh it's very very commonly used so um synthetic oxytocin um uh i can't think what's syntocin on here in yeah. the uk and it's called what's it called in uh pit pitocin in america okay so um there's very little research into the long-term effects of a baby being exposed to um, synthetic oxytocin around the time of birth. And there's no research into how synthetic oxytocin impacts the, the infant microbiome um, yet. So uh, again, it's one of these things where we just don't know. And so the, the small research that has been done um, and what we've interviewed one of the professors who's 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 doing this research 
indicators gets there's um if if you use too much synthetic oxytocin so if you have um and I can't remember the, the dosages, but if you have kind of more than the, the minimum dosage, then there's research that indicates that this could affect different elements of the, of the baby's health. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to scare anybody because you don't, the research hasn't been done in terms of the long-term effects. And right now all we've got is um, animal studies. So we don't know, we don't know the, I mean, the animal studies are, not good in terms of their fantastic research but in terms of the the results are, are are scary to be honest it just i suppose comes back to where possible where not dangerous try and follow the natural processes because when we kind of deviate from that we are seeing even if anecdotally not great results anything that deviates from the physiological birth could have potential consequences mm. Then. Well, yeah, I think this is what I mean, because I think, for instance, in, in certain countries like South Africa, I think um, when it mentioned Brazil in your film as well, cesarean rates have gone up to 90%. So I think that's... In private, in, in private hospitals in certain parts of Brazil. So not all, not all of Brazil is at, um, is at 90%, yeah, but certain yeah. private hospitals in Brazil. Yeah. I think there's almost this thing where you you kind of want to detach yourself from birth and um even you want to distract from the whole physical process and the and the pains and the stresses and actually that's all part of it i think yeah, yeah. so uh, and to be present at the birth and and birth is meant to be messy and it's meant to be you know painful i don't want to say that but just um, it's meant to be laborious exactly it's it's one of those like kind of processes where you know it's, it's emotional it's physical it's it's a labor it's it's a big thing mm. and uh i think we're afraid of big emotions and big and big messiness and mm. yeah and i think you're right i think there is this um you know so c-section and formula feeding means that you don't get messy and you don't get i mean so you sit up I had a C-section and um, it is, it comes with its own risks and, and, um, mm. and difficulties afterwards um, and it's major surgery and all, and all that. But, it, but there is a, a kind of a thing where it, it I don't know, you've, you, you, I, don't, I don't want to make any parent feel guilty or, or, or bad about their choices or, or what happened. But there's a thing where, yeah, that, if you know the science and if you've looked at the science and and if birth and, and breastfeeding is possible yeah without with as little intervention intervention as possible mm. then you think yeah that would that would be the ideal choice for humanity yeah let's hope that it swings back to that being in fashion you know that that that, that we go back to that a more natural kind of organic way i think we are with kind of the rise of the well-being movement things are going in that direction it's just kind of having to find ways around the the medicalized way that of birth at the moment and you know kind of the medical institution and the money behind it but you you touched on um humanity and how it will change humanity um you speak about epigenetics in the film and um 
is another topic that I love talking about. I'm a big fan of epigenetics. And um, can you explain to us how that is um, connected? Okay, so there's um, uh, so microbiome is, is enough to get your head around for me. <laughs> Whoa! And then you get to epigenetics, and that just spins you into a I whole know. different turn. Um, so epigenetics, think of yourself as having a set of genes. So you're born with a set of genes, and and um, and I can't remember how many thousand types of genes you have. Um, and uh, these genes uh, can be switched on or switched off. And uh, we, I kind of imagine it as a, you know, if you go into a recording studio and there's thousands of different dials and uh, you have sort of some engineer like twiddling some dials somewhere. Well, that's kind of what it is like when, um, when you're born. So um, as you're born, as, you, as the baby is, goes through the kind of birth canal, some of those little dials on the switching, on the mixing desk get turned up and turned down because it's the pressures that the hypothesis is, is the pressures, the pressures of going through the birth canal and the hormones that get released and the physical processes of being born that switches on or dials up, dials down certain number of switches. So the baby realizes that it's been born. So the baby is born by C-section, but the baby might not realize on a genetic level that it's been born. So it, because it hasn't been exposed to the same stresses and hormones of vaginal birth. And that one hypothesis is that this could explain why there's an increased risk of um, asthma, allergies, type one diabetes, celiac disease, and obesity for babies born by C-section. That it could be a combination of the genetics, epigenetics and the microbiome working together. So, so um, and the same thing goes for um, breastfeeding. There could be epigenetic changes associated with breastfeeding. We have evolved to breastfeed our babies. And so there could be, you know, think of this, imagine, this imaginary mixing desk, desk and with dials being switched on, switched up. So I'm dialed, on, dialed up, dialed down with breastfeeding. So, so this whole process of birth and breastfeeding, if you skip it and have a C-section and formula feed, because it's, it's, nice and clean and, and it's all fine um, the baby might not realize that it's been born and it might not realize you know the switches the the switches for long-term health might not be switched on wow so because of how we have evolved to um, expect birth to happen if it doesn't happen in that way it's not switching on or off the correct genes that need to be switched on or off that's the theory. That's the hypothesis. I mean, it's very difficult to um, prove this theory because it would mean not, you know, kind of a to, to have same baby, wouldn't you? You need to, to identical babies to be born and have a different outcome. Out, yeah, and also to experiment on a birthing mother. Yeah. Uh, or, so the best thing you can do. So the best thing you can do if you do have an emergency cesarean or elective cesarean, the ideally is to breastfeed then because that would obviously help. Is, is to, um, I mean, there, there is some research, I, I saw this uh, last year, that there is some research about a baby being, so to, to experiment with this whole epigenetics thing, is to pass a baby through, but born by C-section, pass it through um, like a plastic, I don't know, valve, a very narrow plastic valve, so that it kind of it gets yeah. born through a uh, plastic yeah. tube almost. Even even going into the labour 
um, and then having the emergencies, would the baby have not engaged to a point where it would have switched on some of the those genes, do you think? Or is it not, not it has to go through that bit? Depends uh, how long the labour was, and depends if the kind of your, your hormones were were released. And it's not just the squeezing; it's the hormones. So the whole kind of you know process, and maybe and maybe you know there's other processes involved too. So I'd imagine, yes, most well, for me, I'm not a scientist, but this you know the idea in theory, you can imagine that at least some of the yeah. pressures and hormones. Yeah. So one of the things in the so one of the things in the film that I found really interesting was about how um, I think there was a quote actually I think I'd written it down and I can't seem to find it here but um, oh the maternal heritage of microbiome so your how your grandmother birthed your mother will have an impact on your health and which genes and the epigenetic um, side of things it's just it's amazing this whole kind of maternal heritage thing so that um, the microbes in you as a woman so my I was born vaginally from my mum so uh, my microbes in my gut um, are can be linked back to my mum's gut and to my grandmother and to the great what's that grand great grandmother great great grandmother and so on and so on yeah. so um, we all have the same um, strains of bacteria in our guts and that goes back you know thousands of generations and if you're born by c-section that chain of maternal heritage is broken so you don't have the my i don't um, my daughter won't have my my own and my fam my sort of maternal heritage line of uh wouldn't have received the same my, uh, vaginal microbes and gut microbes and being that this is your subject and this is your thing but you did go through that and there will be many other women listening who had to have cesareans and and and, and will be feeling will be listening to this feeling about feeling a bit you know um and maybe unease about it how how does that make you feel and what what things do you can you do moving forward in that um it makes me feel uh sad um that now i know the impact of it i mean there's nothing we can do about it i mean there's things that um we ensure that uh our daughter has a really strong um immune system by you know so by her diet so we make sure she has eats lots of fresh fruit and vegetables mm -hmm. um all during her childhood we would uh force her into um muddy puddles and <laughs> dirt um uh we ourselves are um we're not too enthusiastic hygienically so we do sort of clean so uh, i am clean <laughs> <laughs> but uh in terms of um antibacterial wipes um oh yeah it's difficult at the moment because of the, the pandemic so that uh we use soap and water for everything and, we, and we're kind of you know use alcohol wipes and um we are much cleaner than we normally would be because we're in the midst of a pandemic but saying that um uh, so we do, you know, so we have a, we have as many houseplants as we possibly can get. We've, we um, go out into nature, we have we fresh fruit and vegetables. Um, we have, uh, there's research about getting a dog. So we don't have a dog, but we borrow a dog. Mm -hmm. um, and we make sure that the dog uh, licks us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, being a bit grubby, it's great. I love that. Because I'm yeah. so scruffy and quite grubby. 
<laughs> you know, and, and you know what I mean? Like, I never used to wash my hands. I mean, I was so rarely wash my hands. I never have really very often, you know, and it's so funny now in the, with the pandemic, like you say, I'm like, washing my hands. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've already washed my hands today. I mean, for God's sake, I'm washing them again. But it's, it's nice to know that. And like, and the same with Lauren, like I've always used the like Ecova and the natural products and then as natural as possible in your house and in your environment. That makes a massive difference, right? And the and the, the best food you can, the most fresh food, all that stuff doesn't. And I, you know, not too many, um, not too many medicines, just sort of natural medicine where you can. Well, well, just a kind of sensible approach to antibiotics. So if you know, if with an infection, obviously take antibiotics. It could be life saving. But yeah, I don't know, I think my daughter's never had. She hasn't had antibiotics, Lola, and she's fourteen, I think. I think Arthur might have had them once. You don't really need them that often, do you? Unless you maybe have a massive wound or mm-hmm. cut. I think there are also very, very um, incredible ways to deal with infection through homeopathy, homeopathy through functional medicine. There are there are ways to fight infection depending on how severe it is. Mm-hmm. Antibiotics have their place, but I think they're they're too widely used. And actually, it brings us to a quote from your film. Um, that, uh, was it Martin Blazer, the director of? human microbiome project in New York he said in the film our ancient microbiome which protected us from many diseases is degrading excuse me and with that degradation these diseases are being fueled the diversity of our microbiome is what protects us and that is being compromised nothing prepared our microbiome for smaller families and cesarean sections and antibiotics and antibacterial substances everywhere it's very pertinent right now it, it is, um, Dr. Blazer talks about um, the conditions for a pandemic that um, that you have um, because we've lost our protection as a as a species. We've lost them. So we, we're so uh, we have de- degraded our microbiomes by using antibiotics and by antibacterial practices um, that we've lost some of our defence. And uh, in, in um, he said when we filmed him. The worst case scenario is a global pandemic. Yeah, and, and you filmed this in 2014. I know. Yeah, and uh, because our I mean, systems aren't strong enough to to deal with it. It's a hypothesis. Mm. So there's, you know, but that's that's what he predicted would happen, yeah. and sure enough. Yeah. Saying that for ages though, haven't they? That the more people use antibiotics, the more the, the you know the the germs, whatever people like to call them, are going to get stronger and more resistant to the antibiotics. So you're creating this kind of fight to make stronger, stronger pathogens, perhaps. We need to be stronger ourselves. So we need to be to eat. Our, you know, it is all about eating a good diet, and also you know exercise and and you know just being more microbiome friendly and being um i don't know just using meditation and and like nice stuff yeah kombucha kombucha and kimchi and yogurt and all that stuff is great as well isn't it i do think there's much more awareness of that as well though now do you think Uh, i think there is i think there's uh i think people want a quick pill Mm. or a quick solution and we we make our own kimchi but there's only uh so much kimchi that you can really eat yeah i know i eat a lot of sauerkraut and there's really only much, so much sauerkraut you can eat no i don't eat that much but a little i bit. used to i used to make kombucha i, I, I make um kefir too and again it's only so much that you can yeah. i mean i love it 
but I have to take a break for like a month or two. So our, our kimchi, our, our, we've got two boxes in, in the fridge and it's just each time you open the fridge, you smell this kimchi and you're like, oh. <laughs> you need a fridge with this fermenting section, don't you? Maybe that will come in the future yeah, too. Like this, people like us will invent it. Yeah. So I have, I have an issue because my son who was born um, you know, natural birth, um, intensive labour. He was back to back. It was a 24 hour labour, but he was born naturally, um, I should say vaginally, um, breastfed. He has a feeding disorder, which just popped up when he was 12 months, just stopped wanting to eat food. And um, we have this huge issue because with all the things I've done and what I do for a living and you know talk to other people about and, and advise other people I can't do for my own son because he won't eat he's he's nearly five um he eats a very select um he has a very selective diet he's got a repertoire of about four foods um and there's nothing I can do about it and um so I'm I'm, I'm hyper aware all the time of what it's doing to his gut and it affects his brain so he gets very hyper sometimes and I, I can see, I'm fully aware, and I see the connection between the food and how he behaves. Um, and it's really difficult for me, you know, because I know what his microbiome needs. I know that how I'm supposed to be um, managing it and, um, uh, and feeding it, and I can't. God, he, he's really learned how to push your buttons at a very early age, hasn't he? <laughs> he really has really really difficult very very challenging probably my most challenging thing yeah is he like getting dirty yeah 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 he likes getting dirty he goes i you know loves dog we had we had a dog no a dog passed a couple of years ago we're thinking of getting another one now but he loves dogs he goes out with dirt mud he's a really active kid so he's always up in trees and um yeah our only saving grace is that he enjoys his smoothie in the morning that's his breakfast and everything goes into that smoothie but which is great but the problem is all the other stuff that he is eating is kind of um yeah kind of minimizing the effects of of that it's he really what he's missing out on though because your recipes and your things that you cook are so delicious That's <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> oh my god even my cakes and cookies and I'm going to tell him then when next time I see him, I'm like, right, next time you say no to one of mommy's things, you need to post it to me. This <laughs> <laughs> little box. <laughs> um, so the, um, we just wondered how, um, it, since making the film, have you had any success in getting governments to look at the information that you're providing in order to, you know, make the change in the way that the maternity healthcare system works? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I've tried I've tried different ways and I've had um, it's difficult because um, the biggest stumbling block seems to be doctors mm. so, um, uh, midwives and uh, lactation consultants are, have really taken this information are, are uh, really familiar with it and, and they, they they really like our courses and things but um, doctors are pushing back against us and I just wonder if um, it just takes longer, I think, for, for, for doctors. So their, their training um, uh, is, a, is a long training and, and I don't think there's any element of the microbiome within that training yet. So I reckon it may be another 10 years. 
So we've so we've made inroads and uh, we've had lots of meetings with different people, and just not, um, yeah, not made much progress. But I think um, the next step. So I, I said this earlier that we're, we're develop, developing these tools for um, for parents, and I think uh, I think change happens from the top and change happens from the bottom. So if I can empower parents with information for them to say to their healthcare provider and to their doctor, uh, help me seed and feed my infant microbiome. Well, what can I do um, to, to do that? Then the, if they say that to the doctor and the doctor doesn't know, then they're going to have to find out. So um, the doctor then kind of uh, comes on our courses or, or watches our film or whatever, or finds out what they need to do. And then, they, then they're in a better position to help protect the parent. At the same time, we're, um, we're, we're approaching um, hospitals and hospital trusts with information okay. and see if we can affect policy. So um, if we change the policy at hospital level, then that will that directly affect the, um, the healthcare professionals and doctors within that hospital policy. Yeah. So that's what I mean. So change happens from the top and change happens from the bottom. So we're, we're working at both ends. The, the stumbling block is the middle. Yeah, I suppose universities as well would be good for where, you know, who actually... Universities, has... universities are great. So we've got loads of sort of institutions and universities using our stuff. Great. Because they surely are training the doctors, though, at the universities. So I should say the universities are great. The midwifery departments of the universities are great. Mm, okay, but not the not medical schools necessarily, no. <laughs> Oh God! A lot of them are, are funded and supported by the pharmaceutical companies, so you know there's always this kind of backstory. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a thing that doctors always that everybody thinks the doctors are right about everything, don't they? Like, oh, well, he's a doctor, so he must know. Oh well, well this is the problem with birth, I think, because you know I've got friends and clients who who have you know doing things as naturally as possible and then choose to have to give birth in you know a very prestigious hospital or something thinking that they'll get the best care and then come out and say to me I had such a traumatic birth and the doctor was there and da, 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 da. and I always think that the calmest most lovely births seem to happen when the doctors aren't around and you've got a nice supportive midwife or a doula or both ideally um, a partner who is well versed in you know natural birth processes um, but when the doctors get involved, it tends to get very medicalized, which obviously we know brings down oxytocin levels, increases cortisol levels, which therefore regresses the birth. Um, so it, it, it's actually a misconception that having, you know, the best obstetricians and the best hospital are going to give you the, is going to give you the best maternity care because it's not. Yeah, it's amazing. You just get a nicer room and a better meal. I, I love the seed and feed um term that you use is that have you coined that expression because that's so lovely yeah just this idea just because it's so simple it's just like you seed it during vaginal birth you feed it with breastfeeding i think it's just um I love yeah that. it's really great and so uh, if someone wants to do your courses do you um so they're online and they're on your website or do you do you run them in person sometimes i did uh run some courses in real life but uh i didn't really enjoy them so just just because I've kind of uh, I, I've got about two hours I've I've realised I've, I've got about two hours of energy and then after yeah. that I just get a bit like yeah so you don't and need then, to do it all day yeah, yeah. so um, we've created everything online so we have a, a, a 
uh, our school site is uh, microbiomecourses.com. Okay. So um, if you want to find our courses, go there. And then we're doing uh, releasing our parent versions in September. Well, that's great because, like you said, that so I had a look through your courses, and you've got some amazing courses for health professionals. And I think that would be amazing for midwives, doulas, you know, people like that. And then to have the the option for parents as well just really bridges that gap. Yeah. That's that's the goal. It's realizing kind of okay, um, and also just the world's changed, particularly with uh, the whole pandemic, and that every. Um, a lot of education is moving online and I yeah. think yeah just kind of take it to present it in a, in a way that parents can understand that make it interesting and yeah, yeah. absolutely um, well we're gonna have to um, think about wrapping up but it was um, it's just such amazing information that I think so many people will benefit from um, so thank you so much yeah, well, and for being so pioneering as well, that's really, it's, I always think it's really something to actually find something new, which is obviously ancient, but to, to be a bit of a pioneer in these days, because you feel like everybody's kind of done everything, but you're doing something, doing something very pioneering, which is very, um, yeah, very commendable. Thank you. I've been called a pioneer before, but thank you. I'll take that. Uh, yeah, it was just, it's exciting. I just, um, I think the more I discover, the more I want to learn. And uh, it kind of gets, a, it kind of makes you realise, it makes you see the world in a different way and makes you kind of think, ah, oh, we can make a change. And we can, if people knew this information, then uh, we could make the world a better place. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you so much. That's so brilliant. We'll put all your information into our show notes so people can reach you and, and get, get your courses and watch your film. I loved watching that. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. And as, you, as we said before um, we started the show, we do our little thing, what we into every week. And um, so are you into anything in particular this week? Uh, I'm into my uh, daughter came up. She said she thought I was getting a bit stressed this week because um, lots of things just oh just domestic stuff our, our heating didn't work you just thought stuff was going wrong and I was getting frustrated um, so uh, I'm into uh, short meditations on a mobile app that my daughter downloaded for me awesome which app uh, I can't remember but she just uh, <laughs> I don't know what it's called but it's just um, it just it just it plays calming music and then just tells you some calming words yeah that's really lovely. There's so many good apps out there now. It's brilliant. And what, what, are you about, what are you? Oh, I was going to ask you. Well, I'm into, and I know that's something that you've mentioned recently, but um, it is my new passion is online Zoom yoga. And, um, and I've been doing it this week and I've just felt so great. And I, and I just didn't want to do the online the Zoom for some reason. I don't know why. I just uh, It's not quite the same as being in a class. And then suddenly... I've suddenly the penny dropped months after everyone else has been doing it, I must say. And, um, and I just found it really nice. I just doing it at home and, and my friend is doing the teaching and it's very, um, yeah, it's very grounding. I felt really happy afterwards. So, um, yeah, I'm going to carry that on. That's my yeah. thing. What are you into? Well, I mean, the weather's turned this week. It's been such lovely weather, but now it's all kind of been gray and a bit miserable. So I, I'm back into my hot cacaos, which I make and I am just obsessed with. It's just the most comforting thing, like, you know, like a proper warming hot chocolate, but you know that you're getting all the benefits from the cacao, you know, the magnesium and all these amazing health benefits. And I put um, wild orange essential oil in it at the end. So it's just like a chocolate orange. Uh, and I, my, my trick though, 
which everyone who has had one of my cacaos is like, why is it so creamy? It's because I put it, I make it, I mix all the ingredients, I put it in the blender and I blend it first so it makes it really frothy and then I heat it. Anyway, so I'm, I'm having way too many at the moment. You know, I looked at my cacao in my drawer this afternoon and, I, and when I see cacao now, I think of you. Uh, oh, many no, people no. do. <laughs> it's really funny. Like the legacy I'll leave behind, my cacao recipe. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Tony, thank you so much. We've really enjoyed having you on and um, thank you for all this information that you're sharing. Yes. Thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed uh, our little chat today. I think it's been lovely. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you took anything away from it that you think might benefit others, please share with family, friends, or on social media. Most of the podcasts we have grown to love ourselves have been recommended to us. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Healthy Happy Home Podcast, where our intention is to build a beautiful and diverse tribe of souls to join us on this journey to wellness. Thank you to Mega Home Water Distillers for sponsoring this season of Healthy Happy Home. Head over to megahome-distillers.co.uk to learn more about the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller on the market and to benefit from a 5% discount as a listener of Healthy Happy Home by using the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Mega Home.